this Sunday is a bit of a momentous occasion. Um, can anyone guess why today is special? I know what I'm guess, telling you. You'll probably never guess. Uh, no. No, it's bigger and more momentous than that. For, for you lot. For you lot. <laughs> no, you'll never guess. January last year we kicked off Bush Disciples and um, you probably realise by now I have a practice of preaching my way through entire books of the Bible. Uh, that way we don't miss anything cause, and that way we get a really balanced diet of God's word um, because we cover stuff just as often as what God brings it up. If I was just going to pick and choose Bible passages myself, you'd soon find that I'd just stick to my hobby horses and, and the passages that really excite me and, and the stuff that really that I just love. Um, but, yeah, but by working our way through an entire book of the Bible, we, we cover everything just as often as what God wants to bring it up. And that means we cover the stuff, tough stuff as well as the simple stuff. Uh, so January last year, I searched through the, the whole Bible, praying and, and looking for a book that would give us some really good teaching on discipleship. And, and I just couldn't go past Matthew. And so January last year, we began our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And today, 60 sermons later, we've come to the end. Now, some of you are probably going, yay, we can get on to another book now. Yay, we're at the end of Matthew. Um, but wow, what a journey it's been and, and what a finish. Matthew continues to teach about Christ and what it means to be a disciple of Christ right through to the very end. But you know what? Matthew 28, when, when we just read that just then, that, that didn't, to me, sound like the end. Matthew 28 is more about a new beginning than coming to the end. These are words of starting out, not finishing up. It's just the beginning. So, let's begin. In 1985, now some of you are probably going to go, wow, that's a long time ago. Who thinks 1985 was a long time ago? Mm, Some of you? Well, it's not that long ago, is it, John? No, 1985 isn't that long ago. But in 1985, I was at the tender age of 15 years, And I packed a suitcase and there was a list of things I had to put in that suitcase and I think it went something like this. Five sets of work dress, two sets of town dress, work boots, good boots, work hat, good hat, pencil case, notebook, pen, camera. Then I added a few other things. I added a little bit of leather working gear, some writing paper so that I could write home write letters. Have you young folk ever seen a handwritten letter? So, you used to... I'm not counting you as a young folk. <laughs> so, no, we didn't have email or text, so I used to have to write home to my parents. Um, I had a few coins as well, so that I could go once a week to the payphone and ring home to talk to my parents because guess what, I didn't have a mobile either. Because, not because I couldn't afford one, well I couldn't, but it's really because they didn't exist, at least not in Australia at that stage. And my parents dropped me off at the Dolby Agricultural College to begin my training in agricultural production. Now I was a bit tentative because 
When you went to the Dolby Ag College, you could either go after grade 12 or after grade 10. And I went after grade 10, which made me about the third youngest person there. Uh, But I eventually got through it and after two years I graduated. I left Ag College and I went back home to work on the farm. I'd been taught a whole bunch of stuff at Ag College, how to do things properly, and then we went farming for, for a few years. Now, to cut a long story short, eventually Mum and Dad sold the farm. In January 1992, I went back to the Dolby Agricultural College. <coughs> this time I wasn't going as a student, this, although I was still going to be doing a whole lot of learning. This time I went back as an instructor. And once again, I felt pretty anxious about it. I was only 22 years old. I was the youngest instructor that they'd ever had. And I felt really inadequate. Um, One of the students that I was teaching was almost as old as what I was. But he was a city boy, so he sort of took it okay. Um, But but my teachers, well, they'd taught me well. um, And, of course, I'd continued to put into practice what they'd taught me. And I'd continued to learn and develop other skills and keep up to date because by then they'd invented big welders and things like that. And I'd I'd gone and done a MIG welding course at the local TAFE. And, and of course, once I began as an instructor, there's a whole heap of additional learning that I had to do. And one of the biggest things that I had to learn was, was how to share what I knew with the students because... I was actually teaching in a very practical side of stuff. I wasn't a lecturer in the classroom. I was teaching out in the paddock, teaching the practical side. And, and I was actually working in the agricultural production unit. So we were actually had to get the job done. All right? We had to keep quite a decent-sized farm for the area running and productive. Um, but I was supposed to have the students doing it. And so it was really easy for me just to hop in and just do it for myself and let them watch, but they didn't learn. And so I had to learn how to to be able to stick by them and get them doing stuff and um, get them to the stage where they had the skills and the confidence to do what I'd been taught. Somebody had done it for me. Somebody had taught me. They had bore with me through all of my mistakes, through all of my perfections, imperfections and full all of my feeble attempts until I finally got it right and now it was my turn to do that for somebody else. To stick with somebody and help them to learn and even when they make mistakes to to let them know, hey, that's okay. You're going to learn from that mistake. You're not going to do it again and and this is how we do it differently to, to get it right. What happened was the student became the instructor. Now, the Great Commission is what we call that Bible passage that we just read. And you've probably heard it read many times before. I think Matthew is the only place that we find it. And this is where the disciple becomes the discipler. For around three years, the disciples have been following Jesus. They've been watching Jesus. They've been watching what he's been doing. They've been listening to his teaching. They've been learning from him. But not only this, that they've also Jesus also had them doing stuff. The disciples have been baptizing. 
The disciples have been casting out demons. The disciples have been healing the sick. The disciples have been feeding people. The disciples have been sent out on little missions and then they'd come back to Jesus afterwards and they'd, and they'd report to Jesus all the things that had happened. They'd say, oh look, this is what happened but we had trouble in this area. And Jesus would go through it with them and he'd say, well, okay, this is what you did wrong here and this is what you need to correct. But he'd celebrate with them in, when things had gone really well for them as well. These disciples had been a part of what Jesus was doing. You see, Jesus didn't just do it for them to watch. He engaged them in it. That is discipleship. It's far, discipleship is far more like an apprenticeship than a university course. Do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? Right, with a university course... Um, you might sit in a lecture theatre with three or four hundred people and get fed a whole lot of information from one person up the front. Whereas an apprenticeship is something which is very hands-on. You're actually working one-on-one with a tradesman and the tradesman gets the apprentice doing stuff as soon as they can. They, they sh- teach them a job that the apprentice can do and the apprentice starts doing that. But they don't They don't limit themselves to that one thing. They then continue building them up and showing them additional skills as they go. They keep training them up until they can get it all together and then they can go out on their own. Now that is what discipleship should look like. You know, too often we sort of think that discipleship should be more like a never-ending university course. Uh, where we all sit down in the lecture theatre, we receive teaching from the lecturer and week after week, year after year, decade after decade, we keep coming to church, we sit down, we sing a few songs, we learn more about Jesus, we might think to ourselves, wow, wasn't that incredibly enlightening? And then we go home to do the the same things we've always done um, and then we come back again the next week for more of the same. Disciples are not spectators of the ministry of God. And we need to hear and know and understand that more today than ever because we've become the era of the megachurch. You wouldn't believe that looking at this little group. But, (laughs) but, you know, you go to the city and the biggest, most growing church is is the megachurch where you go and you sit and you have church done to you. It becomes more of a spectator thing. Disciples are not spectators. And if you find yourself being more of a spectator than an active participant, then you've got some adjustments to make in your relationship with God. Disciples are participants in the ministry of God. God doesn't want us to just watch what other Christians are doing. God wants us to be engaged each one of us, you and I together, in what God is doing. Disciples of Jesus Christ become disciplers. Those who have been getting discipled get to the stage where they begin to disciple others. And that's what this Great Commission is about. So let's have a bit of a look at it. We're going to start from verse 16. 
Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, right? We're back to 11 disciples because Judas has hung himself and he hasn't been replaced yet. Now they've gone back to Galilee and that's where it all began for them. Jesus was baptised, he was tempted in the desert and then he returned to Galilee and it was in Galilee that he called his disciples. And that's where the disciples began to follow Jesus. It was right there in Galilee. And now after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them in Jerusalem and he says to them, look, go go and meet me at such and such a hill in Galilee. And they go there and Jesus turns up. And what Jesus is saying to them is, we're back in Galilee, we're back here where it all began. It's time for you, for you disciples, to start discipling other disciples. So they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if you or I were to say something like that, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, well, first of all, it would be wrong, it would be a lie, but also it would be incredibly arrogant for us to say something like that. But there is somebody who can say that, and that's Jesus Christ. And it's not arrogant for Jesus to say it, because it's absolutely true. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. This is what sets Jesus apart from any other religious leader the world has ever seen. All authority is his. No other God, no other religious leader can ever claim that. No other can ever come alongside Christ. And when Jesus returns, we know that every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All authority is his. And the one who is crucified but now lives, the one who has all of this authority in heaven and on earth, turns to his disciples and he gives them a commandment. Go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In a nutshell, the command is this. You disciples, start discipling. Become disciplers. It starts with worship and then it is go, make disciples. Now, it's important for us to have both. Some people don't think that they need to be worshipping God and of course the best place to worship God is when we Christians get together. But if we just come together for a nice little holy huddle, then we're missing something. Because God also commands us to go, to go out from where we are, to make disciples. Baptise in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Teach. He's commanding us to teach. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. You Some people will tell you, you with with, with grace we don't have to worry about the commandments of God, We we just live in grace. But no, Jesus is saying, this is important. Teach them what? 
Teach them everything that he's commanded us to do. Now, if you have a bit of a flick, go to the web and have a bit of a flick through, through some of the messages that we've had over the last 60 sermons, you'll see there's some pretty tough stuff there that Jesus has commanded us. And he wants us to teach this. Now, how do you feel about that command? To go, teach, baptise. How do you feel about that? What, Jen? A bit scary. Does anyone find that a bit scary? You know, when I went back to the A College as an instructor and I started teaching where I had once been taught, that was scary. That was a big thing. I was so nervous. I had all sorts of feelings like, who am I? You know, I... Why would they listen to me? I'm just this little farm boy from the back blocks of Gundawindi, you know, and whereas here we are in, in prime farming country and I look around at some of the farms that were surrounding us, those schmicko, really top operations. Who am I? I? I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not good enough. But you know what? There was somebody there at that agricultural college who had authority. And the principal of the Ag College said, Michael, you're our instructor. Go and do it. And with the authority of the principal of the college, I began to teach. I had a lot to learn. But I had his authority behind me. And as Christians, how much do we feel we're not worthy to be teachers? I'm not leadership material. I don't feel adequate enough to lead worship or to pray in front of others or to help out at Sunday school. I'm not good enough to take an RE class at the school or to lead somebody to Christ. Has anyone ever had those sorts of feelings? How daunting does the thought of discipling somebody else make you feel? Well, guess what? Just like when the principal, the one in authority, commissioned me and he said, Michael, you are our new instructor, go and do it. Somebody in authority has commissioned you. Yes, you. To make disciples. You guys are disciples of Jesus Christ. Ministers, priests, Christian leaders have been teaching you and I for years what it means to follow Christ. It's now time for each of us, as disciples of Christ, to start discipling, to start making other disciples of Christ. Because the one in authority has commissioned you to do it. You don't have to be the most schmicko, polished Bible teacher around to, to be a discipler. All you need is to have a love for God and a love for people. You don't have to teach others what you don't know. You just have to teach them what you do know. You don't have to demonstrate stuff that hasn't been gifted to you. You just have to put to work the gifts that God has given you. 
and pray that God will give you more gifts as the need arises. And demonstrate the way of Christ that you've had demonstrated to you. Now we've already touched on it a bit, but you know the greatest thing that holds people back from fulfilling the Great Commission? Four letter word. Fear. Every time we have to take another step in obedience to God, there's a hurdle that we have to jump. And the hurdle seems to always always be made that little bit higher by a little thing called fear. Now you probably don't know this, but the first four or five times that I ever preached, for a couple of weeks leading up to those events, I was physically sick for two complete weeks might have even been longer. I actually had diarrhoea. And I I didn't put two and two together until it had happened for four or five times before I was preaching. It was physically affecting me, this fear that I had. But after I'd preached maybe six or seven times, it had come back to only two days before the event, you know. Um, Now, I, I still get a little bit nervous, but it doesn't physically affect me like what it used to. Now the point I'm making is this. God mightn't have called you to be a preacher, but well maybe he has. But he most definitely has called you into some kind of Christian ministry service. And it would probably be something that you would never pick for yourself. Right? Most of us will probably end up serving God in a way that we never envisaged. I know Robin once said, I'm, I'm never going to be a minister's wife. Um, and it all started out okay, till God gave his way. And when you take those first few tentative steps, there will be this hurdle of fear that we have to get over. But you know what? Don't be afraid. Because Christ is with you. Christ is with us. And that's not an empty promise. You know, we, we can sort of be full of religious cliches and that would be one of them, wouldn't it? Oh, it's okay, Christ is with you. Well, it's true. He is with us. It's not an empty promise. All authority has been given to Christ and he has promised us this. He said, look. Now, I've told you this before. Have you seen the word behold in the Bible? It means look. Wow, look at that. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, when the Gospel of Matthew began, one of the first announcements in the Gospel of Matthew came when the angel was speaking to Joseph and and, and this angel said to Joseph, Look, Joseph, Mary's got a bun in the oven, but don't worry about it. It's all good. This this child is going to be from God. And it says, Behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's how the Gospel of Matthew opens. He will be called God with us. And here the closing words of the Gospel of Matthew, the last words that Jesus says to his disciples is I, is it, sorry, I missed the important word. Look, look at that. Behold, 
That sounds much more holier, doesn't it? Behold. Look, I am with you to the very end of the age. He will be God with us. I am with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is with you? Do you believe that the presence of Christ gives you any sense of overcoming fear? Any? Any at all? How about a lot? Yeah? Too right. Do you believe our fears are to be overcome so that we as disciples of Jesus Christ can participate in the ministry of God? I'm looking for a yes. I'm hoping there's somebody who might have a yes in them. I've got a few. That's close. Christ is with us. That's what it means. Disciples have confidence to begin to take on more responsibility because Christ is with us. Now I want to just open it up now just for a little bit of general discussion um, about how we as disciples can begin to take those next steps. How can we as disciples start becoming disciplers? Discipling others, leading others to Christ, leading others in the ways of Christ, teaching others about Christ. I guess what I'm asking is, what has God been putting on your heart? Maybe you just don't know how to go about it. Maybe you might say, Michael, well, I think God's been saying we need to be doing this, but I don't know how to make a start. Let's just have that conversation.